This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to On the Bench. I'm your host for this episode, Brendan Sinone. It is an absolutely loaded episode. Definitely not the third time that I've tried to get this intro out. Right, Zach? Definitely the first time, right? Right, right. right. Okay, cool. Spot on. Uh, there is going to be a ton to get to in this basically a two-part episode. We have a handful of recruiting items to get to, a transfer of note, a decommitment, a little bit of intel on five-star DB prospects, two of them. Uh, so there's going to be a lot to get to there. That's what we're going to start with today. But what I really want to to prepare you guys for is a fun, long-form interview uh, that Trey Roland does in the back part of this episode. Uh, and definitely please pay attention to it. Make sure you stay throughout the entire thing because it's going to be loaded with a lot of uh, fun tidbits from the 2013 National Championship season. Trey Roland sits down, sits down with Ibo Insua. He is a former FSU walk-on fullback. And I have to be totally honest, walk-ons tell the best stories they're paying attention to things they're in different meeting rooms they're like have an idea of both sides of the ball uh and and ebo is like so informative and and thoughtful on that 2013 team and has some great anecdotes including a little bit of insight into the auburn sign stealing of the national championship game so that that continues our 2013 interview series where we talk to players and and other people around that that team as fsu's on its 10-year anniversary of winning the national championship as you can tell, coffee flowing through my bloodstream right now at a high level. I want to give a shout out to our two sponsors of the podcast, Chattanooga Whiskey, doing an amazing job up in Southern Tennessee of distilling some of the best whiskey uh, in the craft scene, really. Like it, their, their bourbon, uh, their entry-level bourbon, excellent. Their cast-strength bourbon, excellent. Their rye, I'm not a huge rye fan. I love their rye. It's one of my favorite ryes, bourbon drinker rye. Uh, they're all over the place in the Southeast. You can find it if you're in the state of Florida. Go to your local liquor store. Pretty good chance you'll be able to find Chattanooga whiskey. Please support the people who are supporting us. Speaking of people who are supporting us, podcast also sponsored by... The Turner Group. The Turner Group. Amy and Colin Turner do an amazing job buying and selling homes in the state of Florida. Uh, they're, they're setting up shop in, in areas outside of Orlando as well. So Tallahassee, Gainesville... Uh, if you have a little rugrat who's about to go to to campus the next month or so and enroll, uh, don't. And if you're looking for a home, don't don't necessarily rent. Uh, they might be able to help you buy a house and find a way to actually make money off of this venture. So the Turner Group uh, would recommend that you go and give them a, a look as well. Just Google the Turner Group and you'll get all the information you need. You can find them on Instagram as well. Colin does a great great job of keeping that very active and informative. Uh, also position preview series starting on OTB. Uh, we're going to have that on our YouTube channel as well as on the podcast feed. It's going to be the X's and O's guys really leading it. Chris will be part of it. Sometimes I'll be part of it. So that's going to be happening as well. 
things are happening, Zach. There's a lot of football stuff to get to. Finally, we have a promo. If you want to give that a shout out, and we'll get into the scoop. Yeah, we got a promo going on at Force or Knowles Twenty Four Seven right now. Um, just over two dollars a month for the next year. It's seventy five percent off an annual subscription to Knowles Twenty Four Seven. It's only available for pretty much the rest of July. So um, you know, a little, a, a little bit more than a week left in the promo. Um, hundreds of, of fans have already signed up um, for for this. You know, it's pretty much the best deal that best deal of the year at Knowles 24 seven. So I'd highly advise you guys to, uh, to take advantage of it. Um, especially with what I hear Brendan's got cooking with some tea brewing, right? I'm cooking and brewing tea, which is an odd way to do it, but I am doing both of those things. That's yeah. how you do it. But we, we got some fun team scoop coming up in the next uh, sometime this weekend at Knowles 247com That'll be exclusive to Knowles 247com subscribers. Uh, and, and yes, you're signing up for all the recruiting information that's happening. Right now, leading into the elite camp at the end of the month on the 29th, is it, Zach? Yes. Okay. It You got that, but then you also have fall camp starting the next week. And you have nuggets and practice reports that we take a lot of pride in and a lot of information inside about the team, the Knowles 24-7 community. So thank you to everyone who's signed up so far. We are at an all-time high for subs as a website. Uh, it's really cool to see. We appreciate the support. I will say, if I see one more person on Twitter asking for what a VIP article says, I'm going to come over to your house, knock on the door, and ask you very politely to sign up for Knowles247.com because it's only like two bucks a month. Don't get cheap on me now, Donson. It's a Jurassic Park reference. Am I playing around too much, Zach? Let's get going. Charles Lester, five-star cornerback from the Sarasota area. He's in Venice now, but you know Southwest Florida making his decision on July 28th. That is about a week away from today as we record this on a Thursday morning. He told Rivals, uh, a Rivals.com reporter that he is planning a surprise visit. We do not necessarily know where that surprise visit is. Uh, I am under the impression, and no, I shouldn't say under the impression. I am confident that the lone school that's really threatening Florida State for his services right now is Colorado. If I were to have to venture a guess. Oh, wait, who who reported? Sorry, not rival Zach. You could have interrupted me. That's fine. You're allowed to interrupt me. It was, uh, I, I didn't want to disrupt your flow. I think it was like uh, recruiting news guru or something like that. Uh, okay. Well, sorry. I take it back. Rivals, you didn't break shit. It was recruiting guru. Okay. Um, but anyways... We have so what we what we can have based on what that report says is that he's going to be visiting somewhere a few days before his commitment. Uh, as of right now, we'd expect that commitment to be Florida State. I'm still confident in that. Uh, but the school that is threatening Florida State the most right now that we've reported at Knowles247.com is Colorado. Uh, what do I need to add to that, Zach? I, I'm trying to to juggle what I what I know and what I can say. I think that's fair for right now. I mean, we'll Colorado is definitely like the only threat for FSU in that recruitment. Um, I still like where FSU stands, but I think that surprise visit is going to be something to watch. Like it's, yeah, it's definitely going to be something to, to keep an eye on in that final week of his recruitment. Um, because the, the, the end of July um, on July 25th, is when the or 
the recruiting calendar opens back up from being a dead period to an open period where kids can take visits. So from the 25th to the 31st, guys can um, make recruiting visits to, to whatever schools they want. And I guess Lester is considering um, a visit during that time frame to some school. Um, so that'll be something to watch. But yeah, if for right now. If that school is Florida State, we feel great. Yeah. If the school is not Florida State, um, I think you go from having what, like a 90, I'll just throw out random numbers here, Zach, a 97% chance of getting Charles Lester to that, that plummets probably to like in the seventies. Like, I think you'd still probably be the leader for him on, on the 28th, but if he's going and taking visits elsewhere, um, that doesn't necessarily make you feel good. doesn't feel great. And if we're looking at any other recruitment, um, with with a guy taking a visit last second to, you know, whatever other school, you're always going to think that that school probably has momentum, right? Because he's taking a visit and then deciding, you know, three days into that open period on the 28th that or next Friday, you know, that, that would, that would mean that's, you know, whenever that visit happens, that school would be getting the last uh, in-person impression. Which impressions are important for recruiting. So, so yeah, that is something to monitor. Uh, I know people are going to be trying to read my tone and decipher like what it all means. Um, I think FSU is still in a good spot here. I think it's imperative that the, the, the next place Charles Lester visits is Florida state. I think that's very important. It's not to yes. say that if that doesn't happen, that you still won't get him. But uh, if he does proceed forward and takes a, a visit elsewhere, that, that does not make me feel great. Warm and fuzzies. Fair enough, Zach. Yeah. Fair. Let's talk about the five star, the recruitment of five star defensive back KJ Bolden. I think last time we did the podcast a few days ago, Zach, a lot of people were reading my tone and feeling like I, I wasn't as confident as I was in the reporting that we did uh, last week on, on KJ Bolden. And I, honestly, I don't feel any different about it today. I, I just. So where we're at with it is that KJ Bolden out of Buford, Georgia, which is north of Atlanta, is committing on August 5th. I believe he already knows where he's going. I also believe that FSU, in addition to Georgia and Ohio State, feel like they are in a good spot going into that final stretch. Um, that that hasn't changed from the initial reporting. I still feel like if it had to be today, I think it would still be Florida State. I, I don't know if it's a hedge. Maybe it is for me to say that, like, Ohio State and Georgia have expressed confidence as well. Like, that just... I'm trying to give you guys the full picture of it. Right. And so as much as everyone here, myself included, would like love to feel great about me saying it's definitely going to be FSU. It's a done deal. Like, I I just can't say that. It's just, it's crazy to me that like, like I don't see any other reporting anywhere that's considering Florida state a legitimate threat to, to these schools. Like, well, if if anything, and and I said, I don't want this to be a us versus them thing. We've had people like there've been other outlets that have come out and swatted down. Yeah. But um, what I'm saying is, is, People are trying to say that, you know, you're not expressing confidence. You're saying right now that if KJ Bolden was deciding today, it would be Florida, like you think it would be Florida State. Like that, like if that's not, you know, expressing confidence, I don't know what is. Um, you know, if you're, if we're talking about Georgia and Ohio State expressing, you know, remaining confident in, in their chances with him, that's just us, you know, hearing from their side of things and, and hearing that, that both of those schools still feel like they're in a really good spot. Um, but we think that, like FSU is in as good a spot or better um, than those two schools. So, you know, I, 
the the common you know way to uh that, that people are describing this recruitment so you know fsu's on the outside looking in i said yesterday like no fsu's a threat like they're in the top two to me um in his recruitment i think it's it's really you know florida state and georgia um and then ohio state's that third school but but I, I yeah. think FSU has leapfrogged Ohio State as well, Zach. Like, I, yeah. I think that's a real thing. And it being in second probably doesn't matter a ton. I guess it matters some. matters more now than it has in the past, right, with with Transfer Portal and, and stuff. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. And I, like, I, I understand the Georgia confidence. Like, that makes complete sense. Like, the kid has visited there 16 times in his recruitment. Um, I think Chris was telling me, like, before he started his, like, summer visits or – maybe spring visits. He's like, I kind of had to like um, not think about Georgia heading into these visits. So I could kind of, you know, give everyone a fair shot. Like that's what he was saying going into those trips. So, you know, I still think that Georgia's a real player um, and as big of a player as Florida state, but I'm with you, Brendan, you know, I, I think FSU has a reason to feel confident here. And um, like you said, I think he kind of knows where he's headed in his mind already. Georgia has Chris Chris said this on the last pot. This is the part that I can't get through is that Georgia has like bookmarked him to be in that class. Yeah. They I mean, will do whatever it takes. So he's like a can't miss guy for them too. All right. So that that's like the that is the hesitation with me bowling forward and being like, yes, like I think Florida State is in the driver's seat. Even though I think that today, like I think they would surprise people. But but I can't definitively say like that is what is going to happen yeah. because I mean, look at every other recruitment that George is involved in. What happens? Georgia, Georgia wins out. is operating yeah. from a position of power because yeah. of where they're located, because of what's happened to that program the last few years on the field, uh, because of what they've done with producing NFL players, especially on defense. Like they get who they want on the recruiting trail. Like there's little to no competition for them for, for, you know, probably over 50% of the prospects that, that are committed to their class. You know, what, why wouldn't you want to sign up to, to go play at Georgia right now, especially on defense? And that's, that's a pitch that he's going to be hearing from people around him. Uh, KJ is I'm sure. And, and obviously it's a pitch that George is going to be making. And so like, I can feel very confident about where Florida state is today on July 20th, but like buckle up because you still have two more weeks to go on this. Like it, it will be, it will be, I think, I don't want to, I think it'll be a battle. Like, I think there will be posturing and it will be, there will be a level of recruiting done in a very short period of time to, to try to swing one of the top players in the entire nation. Um, And one who's extremely important to both programs at this point. Uh, I think the last thing I'll say on this, and I want to reiterate it, like we're talking to sources, like this isn't just like, Oh, Florida state and and people we talk to there that feel good about Florida state. And I think that's, what's given me confidence to put out some of the stuff I've put out. If this was just one program saying they felt good. And then that's all the reporting would be. FSU think feels good. Georgia feels good. Ohio state feels good. The caveat of it and the gray area where I think people should really like pay attention to is the buzz coming out of like people around Buford is that Florida state has a legitimate chance. Yeah. And that's never, been a thing that's come up any other time in his recruitment right so that's that's the one thing that like if we follow trends and like when we don't know the exact answer to something we're just trying to make educated predictions like that is something that i listen to is like oh that that is a little different and that 
Yeah. And that sourcing was obtained independently of your, of what you were hearing specifically, which I think is valuable. Yeah. Cause I was hearing stuff for a little bit and then you were hearing stuff and then we heard that independent one and without us putting out like feelers, like it came to us yeah. and that's very valuable to me as a reporter. It's like, if this, if something's coming to me that is independent outside of the circle that I would be involved in, uh, that that does have a level of, of value when it reflects 100% what you're hearing. So like, we will see, we will see what happens. There is a lot of time to go on this, but like there is legitimacy for Florida State right now. And I think that's the best way to put it. Like FSU has a legitimate chance at KJ Bolden on August 5th. Agreed. Okay, let's talk about comings and goings, uh, if you will. Uh, the going is Tawaski Abrams, four-star wide receiver from Southwest Florida. Uh, Fort Myers Dunbar is no longer part of FSU's recruiting class. He decommitted from Florida State, promptly committed to Florida. You call it a flip. I call it inevitability. I am tired, Zachary, of me coming on this podcast saying stuff months out. Oh, this doesn't feel right. This is a trend. People getting mad at me saying, why are you trying to push this guy out? Why are you trying to put that, that Travis Hunter energy out there and me being right? I'm sick of it. You are just so right all the time. You're never wrong. You have a 100% hit rate. Um, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, this was a pretty easy one to read, right? Like the kid committed to Florida State in January and then didn't visit again until June when he took an unofficial visit to Colorado, multiple trips to Florida, all in that time span of not visiting FSU again. So I don't know what the deal was as to why things kind of, you know, cooled off between Abrams and, and FSU during that time. But I mean, in that, in that time frame, FSU picked up commitments from four other wide or three other wide receiver prospects because they already had Camden Fryer committed. And I, you know, I don't, I don't think they're they're fretting that much about what's you know their their status in that room. Obviously, a guy like Luane McCoy, I would describe his commitment as shaky right now. Um, I think Miami's definitely very much involved there, as well as UCF is that's a school that he likes a lot. Um, yes, yeah, another guy who hasn't shown up since committing. In yeah, the exactly. So, I you know, I I think uh, to me like Abrams is a valuable piece of the class because of his speed. But um, I I like what FSU has committed, um, and I think they'll be fine without him. But that was the one trait that he had that I feel like none of the other receiver prospects really had was that elite-level speed or, or semi-elite-level speed. Well, you know what? So there's been a few developments. First off, I want to get this out there. This isn't a uh, – this isn't a – Oh, we didn't want him anyway. Podcast, right? Like FSU would have honored that commitment. They would have found a way to use him. I think Mike Norvell would have was excited about the creativity they could have used with someone with his speed. Uh, I will also say that we've heard from people on the staff going back like weeks that they would not have been heartbroken if he wasn't part of the class. So like, and that is, I think, two two things. One, Zach mentioned getting commitments at wide receiver. Like that board has has loaded up since then. I frankly, like, I'm really high on B.J. Gibson. I like him, I think, more than when I like Tawaski Abrams. Like, I give him a higher rating. Um, Elijah Moore, love him. Yeah. Not as much as Dane does, but I do really like Elijah Moore. Different skill sets. You're talking about a big-bodied wide receiver. Uh, B.J. Gibson's more of a, a gadgety type of, like, versatile wide receiver. 
But anyways, you've added guys to that class. You're still making a pursuit of, of Jeremiah Smith, which is, which is a long shot. But you're like, you're working on that. You're going to try to work JoJo Trader, who, who picked Miami. Kind of surprisingly, I think Florida State felt really good about that. And uh, things really changed in the last month of that recruitment. But you're still going to probably continue to pursue him. So you're big game hunting at wide receiver still. The other thing that I would say that changed uh, with Tawaski Abrams recruitment and like why, like if they really want to add a speedster in this class, um, they had, uh, who's the kid who just committed to Oklahoma? Zion Reagans. Zion Reagans. They had him official visit the same weekend as Abrams. I think basically to be like, hey, both of you guys could like, you know, there's only one spot for one of you uh, to kind of put a little pressure on Abrams. I don't think it did what exactly it was intended to do, but if they really wanted to push Riggins, I think they would have been able to to probably get him to stall that commitment to Oklahoma um, if that was something they really wanted to do. What I think makes him okay with like all of it is what's happened since Abrams committed is that a dude named Destin Hill has made it to campus and has looked really good and is a vertical threat and is a true freshman. So uh, just your, your fortunes at the wide receiver room have changed and you have someone on campus who kind of has that skill set, probably maybe not, not quite as fast, but very football fast and probably more explosive. as just a general athlete. So yeah, I, mean, I think he's a better overall, like just football slash wide receiver, like football player slash wide receiver. Like yeah. The rankings would bear that out. And the fact that we've heard enough good things about Destin Hill, um, two years post recruiting cycle that, that that didn't seem to be a big drop off skill wise. Like, so yeah, I, I'm just ultimately not, yeah, it, this was inevitable. Um, he's an, he's a, Tawaski Abrams is going to be a valuable football player at Florida. He's going to have some, some tools, but like, I guess I'm not losing sleep over it is how I'd, I'd put it, Zach. Yeah. I mean, that's understandable. I, you know, I, like, I'm not going to get in the crowd of people that think that, that FSU, wouldn't or drop this kid or anything like that that's not true like like you were saying like they would have 100 taken him and and we're still recruiting him like he you know was a guy that they wanted to keep in the class but you know i don't think they're they're gonna desperately try and look for another you know speed wide receiver now i think they're fine with what they have and they got to work to to try and keep lowing mccoy in the class i think that's kind of the next important step for them as far as retaining um their 2024 class because that's you know, besides him, I don't I don't know of any other guys that are that are really shaky in their commitments. Are are do you think they're aggressively trying to keep Luane McCoy in the class? Because there's been commitments at wide receiver since him as well. That's why I ask. I mean, you can't just go ahead and lose all your receiver commits, right? Like Well, I, think, I mean they could lose Luane McCoy and still have three wide receiver commits yeah, in this class. Like it's not a guy Danzi who's a gadgety guy. Especially considering if you lose Luane McCoy, it's probably to Miami, which is not good optics wise and i think Bowen mccoy is a pretty good player you think you would go to miami i think i think miami's back in it because miami wasn't really you know according to you know them like wasn't really pushing a ton for him um after his fsu commitment because they were going in on a another kid um i think it's jacory barney i believe his name was and he uh he had just committed to nebraska over miami so i think miami might um, circle back to Lewin McCoy now. Okay, that makes that sense because he he also played for that same youth team that JoJo Trader played for and, and a couple of their other commits as well as like Jeremiah Smith. So there's some connection there. He's been posting stuff. Um, it's a good youth team. Yeah, I mean it's a crazy good like JoJo Trader, Jeremiah Smith. They have a linebacker committed from there. Um, Lewin McCoy. 
<laughs> a bunch of other kids. And I think uh, I think um, FSU GA, wide receiver GA, Guy Lemonier was actually a coach on that team at one point, which is pretty cool to think about. Wait, how old is Guy? How is he coaching that team? He's not that old. He's like late 20s probably. That's what I'm saying. That doesn't make sense. Was he playing on that team? No. Okay. No. I have Zach doubting himself now. <laughs> he coached some he coached some youth team where, where Jeremiah Smith and Jojo. Okay. All right. I got I got Zach doubting himself. I can tell. The rare the rare Zach leaking of confidence. Uh yeah, Makai Danzi was another another speedy player that FSU got into its offensive arsenal since Tawaski Abrams committed. He's faster than Tawaski. As I think we talk about Tawaski, it's funny, Zach. You're talking about Tawaski Abrams speed, and, and it is elite. It's really high percentile. And when we talked about Makai Danzi, his speed and kind of like, oh, the, the 100 meter dash isn't as good as the 200 and the 400. Well, his his 100 meter dash is 10.6, and I think that's Tawaski's as well. And that's that's Makai Danzi's like lesser event. Yeah, just mean, perspective on how good he is at the 200. Yeah, I think his fat, he's actually faster in the 100 than Tawaski, I, I believe. Um, I think Tawaski is like 10.62 and he's 10.61 or something like that. But, but yeah, I mean, they play like they both would have played like very similar roles at Florida State, I think. That's um, what I'm saying. I don't like, yes. sweat it a, a ton. Like, yes, I don't. But then, but, but like you're saying all, all this stuff about Lewayne, like, I don't, I don't think they should feel comfortable just losing, losing guys. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I like Lewayne McCoy. I would, I would love to see Lewayne McCoy at safety and put him in this class. Like, I think that would be fun. But yeah, DB in general. I think he. That's. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a topic for another time. But uh, but yeah, I agree. I think that would be a better spot for him. Okay, let's let's move on uh, to the Cummings part of this uh, section. And oh, and uh, that is a, a new addition to add to the recruiting board. It's late July, and we are adding people to the recruiting board, Zach. Uh, this used to be not a year-round entity. Like, there'd be times in July where you can chill a little bit with covering recruiting. Not anymore. So, uh, with that being said, I will give you the platform. I know we don't want to give a ton of the information away because we want this to be exclusive to Knowles 24-7 subscribers. It's information that you procured on your own. Believe it to be exclusive of any outlet right now. Uh, we were able to confirm it as well a little bit with some sources that there's some legitimacy to this. So I will stop rambling and let you take it away. Yeah. Um, Florida State's involved with a transfer linebacker. Um, we're just a few weeks away from fall camp. Uh, fall camp, I believe, starts like in that first week of August. And FSU um, could be in play for an addition um, via transfer linebacker and, and that Transfer linebacker's name is Justin Cryer um, from Northwestern. Obviously, Northwestern had all all of the uh, um, you know, allegations go over their head coach about hazing, and he was fired, which basically opens the floodgates for Northwestern players to depart that program um, via the transfer portal, and they can um, obtain immediate eligibility at their next stop. And, yeah, I mean, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I have more VIP notes on that, on FSU's involvement with Cryer on Knowles 24-7, and make sure to utilize that 75% off sale to uh, to get to reading that. Cool. Yeah, and and this is, again, we're recording this at 8.30 on Thursday morning. A lot of things can change in the next few hours with yeah. everything we talked about, other than the Abrams one, but all, all the other recruitments we talked about. Like, we could get more information here in the coming, like, 
hours, day, I don't know, but like, uh, yeah, this will all be stuff to kind of keep monitoring and, and keep checking back on. And we're going to be checking with sources and I'm just trying to monitor things on all these recruitments in the coming hours and, and days. And uh, in some cases with Bolden, I guess weeks, but yeah, a lot going on. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and uh, turn this over to the 2013 championship series with Trey Rowland. He's going to talk to Ebo Insua, uh, former FSU walk-on fullback, who's going to give you some really good insight into that championship team. And again, uh, a little bit of a, a little bit of a confirmation of something that's long been suspected in that championship game against Auburn. Hey everybody, welcome to another special edition. Knowles 24-7's on the bench. I am your host, Trey Roland, but who cares about me? Because I am here with a very distinguished guest, current Claremont City Councilman, but for the purposes of this interview, former walk-on football player from the 2013 National Championship team, Ebo and Sua. Ebo, how are you doing, my friend? Trey, my man. I'm doing well, my brother. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you. I know we interact on Twitter from time to time. I am interested to hear about your experiences. We're, we're kind of doing some uh, multiple series right now. I'm very interested in the life of, like, the mysterious life of a walk-on at Florida State. I feel like people, they say it a lot, but they don't really know about it. And then, of mm-hmm. course... 10-year anniversary, man. I want you to flash off that ring a little bit. I want you to talk about your experience as a 2013 national champion. Yeah, man. I definitely can. I I, I mean, I've still got the box with all, all those rings in there from that time, man. We, we we worked hard for those. We worked real hard for those. I'm telling you. People don't get it, but those washed-up walk-ons, they're, they're <laughs> integral parts of, a, parts of a team, man. I'll tell you. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Just wait to see how, why, all the stories that you had at practice, just to look behind the scenes. I'm, I'm very excited about it. So I guess the first thing, as a as a former offensive lineman, you went to East Ridge in Claremont, Florida. Can you describe your recruitment? How did you get in contact with Florida State? What what was that process like? Yeah, man. So so I mean, first of all, thanks for having me on. You know, you got to do those little pleasantries at the beginning. You got to let people know. Hey, I'm grateful. I appreciate it. <laughs> But man, it was it, it was honestly a ride. I mean, even for me, I started playing football, I think in 20, 2009, 2010. I actually, it's funny, I actually started out as a soccer player, then I got fat. Uh, and, and I realized that I was, <laughs> it was not the life for me. Um, and I, I remember I came out for football and I was like, oh, okay, like, I'm actually pretty decent at this. You know what I mean? So it was one of those things where um, even for myself, it was a pretty long journey. Um, I was started off at D line at nose tackle my sophomore year. Uh, and then I remember my offensive line coach came up and he kind of was like, you're kind of fat, but you're kind of not unathletic. He's like, you want to play offensive line? And I was like, you know what? Let's do it, man. Let's, let's do it, man. Put me on there, man. I love to eat. I can block. Let's do it. So, uh, afterwards I switched over to offensive line, played offensive guard, um, and honestly, it, it just clicked for me, man. I loved it. I loved pulling. I loved pass blocking. It was always a great time. Um, you know, it was one of those things where you're you're athletic enough where you're like, all right, like, coach, if you give me the ball, like, I can I can run, and I probably won't get tackled, so I'll be good on that. But at the same right. time, it's like, if you need me to, I guess I can pass that, and I can take somebody on and, and do what I have to do. So uh, after, you know, that, that position change happened, uh, things started to click for me really, really well. Our senior year, only lost to um, only lost to Apopka and uh, uh, and Olympia, 
And those were, you know, kind of one of the things that we, we really hung our hat on. Um, we had, they had some great guys uh, on those teams. I'll tell you that whole, that whole, uh, that whole area in central Florida was stacked. I mean, you had ha ha Clinton, Clinton Dix at Dr. Phillips. Um, D Hart was at Dr. Phillips, uh, Tom Smith. These are old, old names, but these were guys who at the oh, time. Oh, not that old. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. <laughs> these were guys at the time that were, um, that were mainstays. So for us, we, we had, we had become like six and oh, seven and oh, and obviously we faced them and it, 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 it was close, close games, but it was one of those things where after a while scouts had started to take notice um, you know, I was probably five eleven and three quarters and, you know, two twenty-five or something of the sort, but I was holding my own against, you know, division one guys who were coming in and, and, you know, D one double a guys who were able to get movement off the line. So for me, I, it always was about how athletic you could be just because you didn't have the size. Um, and even for us, we were more of an athletic team in general, just because of the, uh, the formations we ran, we kind of ran a two back system that dealt with a lot of counters, a lot of pitches, uh, and really was kind of like, we're, we're, we might not be as big as you, might not be as strong as you, but we're, we're damn sure going to out, outwork you uh, right. for four quarters, you know? So that, after a while, I started to kind of shift towards mine and some of the other folks on our team. Um, ended up the year being the first team all-county. Um, and I was talking to Brendan about this, but, you know, was on the uh, the athlete portion of the Super Sentinel 60, which at a, at a time uh-huh. was, was a huge thing in Central Florida. Everybody kind of wanted to know, like, oh, who's on there? You know, what's going on? So I had I was lucky enough where I had pretty good grades in general in comparison to some other folks. So I was able to kind of get some athletic scholarships or uh, uh, academic scholarships at the same time. But I was lucky enough where I had a pretty good network even in high school where, you know, there was a team that, you know, had a couple walk-on spots that were open, they were always available. So I, I had official offers from, you know, like Northwestern Oklahoma. Um, but I really didn't want to go, you know, out of state at that point. And my parents, you know, they, they were like, we want you at least somewhat close to home. Um, and it's funny because I actually grew up with, uh, Nick Waysom and Roberto Aguayo at the time. So we were all from the same area. And they both signed with FSU. Uh, So it was one of those things where I I kind of was in contact with them um, and in contact with some of the staff. I think at the time, Coach Sal Sinceri was doing the recruiting for the most part. Um, Him and Coach Graham, I think, were doing the recruiting at the most uh, recruiting at that time. And they kind of were like, you know what, we've we've got space open, um, you know, for new walk ons to come in if if it's something that you really want to try. And at that point, I kind of was like, you know what? why not? Let's do it. You know, so yeah. got up to Tallahassee, um, you know, and, and kind of met the rest of the walk-ons and, and some of the rest of the, the other players that were kind of around. Um, and, you know, just wanted to take a chance and see what happens. And I'll give you, I'll give you my first funny story. Uh, I've known Carlos Williams for a very long time because we're fo- both from that Lake County, Polk County uh, area. And at the time they were trying to figure out exactly, you know, what do you want to play? You know what I mean? You're, you're too small to play a lineman. You're too slow to play running back. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> so it was, it was one of those things where I was like, man, like, do I want to play, you know, guard or center and, and, you know, just get pushed around all day? Or do you want, do you, do you want to be a fullback or something or, or running back and, you know, just block for most of the time? So Carlos comes up to me. He's like, Ebo, do you want to, do you want to work under uh, Coach Trickett? I was like, I looked at him. I was like, Nah, I was like, I'm good. I'm, I'm, I'm good on that. <laughs> I was like, I'm good on that, man. He seems like a great guy, but Rick Trick, and I don't know if I'd be able to learn anything under him. So uh, <laughs> I was lucky enough 
very lucky enough to be put in the care of uh, Coach Jay Graham, one of the best running back coaches I've ever ever been under. So uh, that's kind of how the transition started um, from from offensive guard to fullback, uh, and and from there it kind of kind of took off. Man, it was a great great experience for 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 the most part, and we learned a lot. <laughs> Did you ever get to work out at offensive line though when you were at FSU, or was it straight to fullback? So honestly, it was it was straight to fullback. There were a couple times when we had some plays where they were kind of moving some folks around just to see like how they would do. And I mean, I, I, I hit a couple people. I stonewalled a couple people and, and coach Tricker was like, Oh, not bad son. And I was like, stop. I was like, please, please. Not. I was like, I'm not, <laughs> you're not, you're not going to acknowledge me in that front. And I was like, please, <laughs> I need to go back to the running back room, please. <laughs> so w- when you get to school, Ebo, wh- what is it like as a walk on? Is it, are you in the, are you, very integrated with the team, the scholarship players? Like, are you guys in the same locker room, same facilities, things like that? Or do they separate it a little bit? Yeah. So this, this answer might change from some of the other, um, other, I'm not going to say decades, but other generations we'll go with in, in administrations. Sure. But for us, you know, Jimbo was very good about having everybody involved. Um, and that's what something I'll give him props for, you know, no matter what people say about him, he, after every game, he would come up to everybody. Didn't matter if it was a walk-on. Didn't matter if it was a star player. Give you a fist bump. Tell you good game. You know, even if you didn't even get in, you know, he'll tell you the same mm-hmm. thing and, and say good job. So it was one of those things where you know his administration did a really good job in terms of having everybody together and just having a, a closeness and togetherness on the team, which is something that I really admire Coach uh, Coach Norvell for now is just having a really good culture. You know, we always throw that word around culture, culture, culture. Right. But actually having. Uh, a culture of togetherness and closeness and having people, you know, actually understand each other and actually know, you know, what's going on and how they're growing up. You know, it didn't matter if you were a first string scholarship five-star player or, you know, you were the third string, uh, third string walk on um, uh, long snapper. You know, it was one of those things where, you know, you got to know the people who you were next with, whether it was in camp, whether it was in math drills, um, you know, whether it was during the season, you know, and now some of those guys are some of my best friends. You know, a lot of them were at my wedding. You know, I still talk to them all the time. You know, Kenny Shaw and, and over in the Central Florida area does his camp every year, and we're always there. You know, awesome. it was one of those things where we were able to support each other, um, and everybody was really there. Was really a, a sense of togetherness um, for the team in general. And as far as like traveling with the team, suiting up, all that stuff, you guys got to do all that as well. Yeah, so they would have like a travel a travel team that would sometimes go and and uh and and travel together so it was one of those things where depending on how hard you work during the week if you if it got noticed then you would have a good chance to actually go out and and, and travel with the squad when you walk into that locker room even the fact that it is as integrated as it is when you go in there man who was the most intimidating player when you walked up you're like oh my god i might have to hit this dude who's the friendliest like give me some sort of behind the scenes of that 2013 team just kind of some superlatives if you will (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a great question. Um, and I'll and I'll tell you this: there's there's definitely some folks where you're like, man, I'm I'm definitely going to avoid you for a while. I, I, I'm not going <laughs> to talk to you unless I have to. I don't want to line up against you unless I have to. But I'll tell you, and you might laugh at this, but one of the most one of the most friendliest yet dangerous people on the field was Lamarcus Joyner. You know, it was one of those things where, really? yeah, one of those things where I'm taller than him. You know what I mean? And I remember I, we were, I think this might have been either uh, Georgia Tech week or Clemson week, but they were doing something with the fullback, having to move around a little bit and kind of, you know, put some motions in on the line. And 
they had LaMarcus come down on a blitz and I was like, all right, cool. Like, I'm not going to take off this play, but I'm, I'm, I can, I can, it's LaMarcus, you know, he's going to do all right. He's going to do, you know, a decent job. <laughs> uh, they, they blew that whistle and I got knocked off my ass. I ain't going to lie. I hit the ground. <laughs> I was like, damn, I was like, the sky looks good today. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, he, he, he would just come up and just be like, you got to come harder than that. And I'm like, man, you're about a buck 60. I was like, well, there is no reason you should be flying down this hard trying to knock somebody out and actually doing it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so, so that definitely, he definitely had the hardest hitting, but obviously, you know, with, with your position groups and just kind of how things are, the people that you're closest with are the people that you're around the most. So, you know, guys like James Wilder, uh, Freddie Stevenson, Chad Abrams, um, you know, even, uh, Devonte Freeman, all of them were great friends of mine. And we, you know, we would eat together. We would go out together. You know, uh, there was always a definitely a togetherness with like your position group in comparison to some of the others, but there are definitely some folks on the team that you probably wouldn't have wanted to hung out, hang out with, uh, or, you know, that, that side of the locker room, you'll probably sure. stay away from a little bit. Um, some other hard hitters, definitely, uh, Mario Edwards Jr. He knocked me out a couple times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell, I'll tell you what, man, my, my come to Jesus moment, this was spring 2012, um, spring 2012 and we, we go out there, you know, this is my first, first couple of practices. I'm like, right. all right, I'm, I'm going to make a name for myself. You know, we're going to do what we have to do. It's going to be great. We're doing blocking drills with, uh, with coach Graham just against each other. And you're going to laugh. And a lot of people won't remember this name, but Shane Broxy, uh, Shane, he played tight end. He was a walk on for a while. And then eventually that last year he became a, became a scholarship player. Mm-hmm. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna go against him. He's another walk on, you know, this is my chance to show, show coach Graham. I, I know I got what it takes and I can actually, I can hit somebody. It's going to be great, man. I remember it was a pass set. I came on the block. This man hit me just like a wall. I just flipped right over. I was flipped? like, oh, you flipped? Literally, flipped, literally flipped, man, literally flipped. And I was not a, I was not a skinny guy at this point. I was like, man, this is, this is a whole different battle. I was like, I've never done this before. I was like, I don't know if this is cut out for me. I was like, man, these division one players are something else, man. They're really something else. Um, but it was such, it was one of those things where it was your, it was your come to Jesus moment, but it also helped because it helped you realize like, Hey, you know, this is, this is something that I actually can do. And, and, you know, it's going to make me a better player down the, down the line. So that's, that's what I definitely would say is a, uh, a positive for a lot of us um, mm-hmm. because there are some walk-ons who would come on and come in and they kind of were just doing it for glory hunting but there are others who actually, you know, wanted to make the team better and wanted to get involved as much as possible. So having that closeness and togetherness with a lot of those guys was was great, you know. And even like I said, there's a number of guys who I may not have been as close with before, but even after graduating and just reconnecting with them and seeing them at events, you know, it feels like days haven't changed. Yeah. I have a question for you. I've always wanted to ask. Um, is Chad Abram aware, other than being a very, very good football player, that he's beloved for his pad size? And did you ever think about adopting the extra large, big pad Chad pads? Yes. So he, I think he is aware. He's definitely aware. Chad okay, is- so it wasn't an accident. He like leaned no. into it a little bit. No, no, he definitely was aware. He's probably one of the one of the nicest guys I've known out there and, and probably one of the smartest too. He's He was able to diagnose plays, you know, at a, at a, greater speed than anybody else I would have known. Um, and he was willing to give, willing to give feedback and advice, you know, to the younger guys like myself and some of the others. Uh, and he, he knew, I mean, I put those things on one time, not you even, like, put on? Not, to, not, put to, on? 
not to practice, but it was more like, hey man, let me let me let me put those on to see how I feel. And I was like, I can't do this. And I was like, I don't know how you do. I was like, it looks cool, but I don't know how the hell you actually you put these on and it works for you because it definitely takes a different type of person to put those uh the, the turtleneck on uh and and ride out like that. Did he ever get crap from the other players for the pad size? Honestly, no. Everybody, it I was wouldn't do those, it either. I wouldn't. Yeah, give it to I mean, either. It was one of those things where people were like, "Oh, big Pat Chad," and then that kind of that kind of stuck, and and everybody was like, "Oh, that's what it is, man." BPC, that's that's it. BPC, so, dude, yeah, fantastic. Man. That was it. So I mean, he he definitely, you know, after a while, he definitely leaned into it, and it, it definitely was uh was a, a part of his identity towards the end. But it, it honestly, I kind of wish that we had somebody who would have brought it back. Um, you know, even now in this day and age, it would be nice to see to see if there's somebody who could put those uh that that turtleneck on and see kind of how it goes. But you know, we'll we'll see. Unfortunately, uh, the full the fullback is a lost art. Um, you know, it's, it's it really is sad because it's it's one of those things where it's such a great position, uh, and a lot of teams are going away from it. But it really it's one of those things where it should be a uh, should be a great weapon to be used, and a lot of a lot more teams should come back to it. I mean, Norvell coaches that personally. You're in politics. I think if you could start a campaign to bring back the big pads, I'm telling you, man, it could something that could get traction. I know you, you got your first like petition signer and myself. So, <laughs> so to, to switch over a little bit to like the to the 2013 team itself, obviously you're mm-hmm. in the offensive side of the football, one of the most prolific offenses in history. During yep. those practices, maybe even preseason before that first pit game, when did you know that this was going to be a special unit and what really stood out about the offense? Did you get to interact with like a lot of those first teamer guys like Jameis, yeah. Rashad Green, the running backs, obviously, yeah. but just, just give me your thoughts on that offense and when you knew it was going to be a, a special unit. Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's kind of funny even before, even before fall camp, I mean, that spring we had a feeling that it was going to be, we had some untapped, uh, uh, you know, untapped potential because my first, first, second or first or second practice, I came out there, and we were doing, you know, running back, fullback, um, pass catching drills with quarterbacks. And I remember Jameis was, he, you know, he was, everybody knew kind of who he was and what, you know, they're like, all right, this guy, this guy's gonna be pretty good. I remember, you know, we, we, uh, we lined up and it was just a flat route, just, just a flat route. And I was like, all right, cool. Like I'm gonna catch in the flat and then I'll be fine. He hikes the ball. I run out to the flat and he throws it to me. And when I tell you, this was probably the hardest and fastest flat route I had ever received uh-huh. I jammed my fingers I was like my god I was like damn I, was, I caught it but I was like damn like my hand is hurting I was like why, why is my hand hurting and he's like oh is that was that too fast for you I was like I was like man you you threw that thing like a bullet and but from that moment I was like all right we've got some we've got something here I don't know exactly what it is but we've definitely got something but no they you definitely knew especially at the fall camp some of these guys we there was some a lot of great potential in there um, and it showed, you know, didn't matter if it was a wide receiver room, running back room, tight end room, everybody, everybody knew their position. And one of the things that Jimbo always used to say is alignment, assignment, and technique. And that was, you know, those are the three things. If you focus on those three things, you know, the play is going to go well. And and we found out that that's exactly how it went. You know, it, it was way before the pit game. Hell, it was way before fall camp. We yeah. knew from that moment that, Hey, this is, this team's got something, you know, if everything falls correctly, you know, we've got a great chance to, to go really far. So I've got I've got a question that I thought was, was been interesting. The complexity has always been heralded about Jimbo Fisher's offense. You played in it. 
Is it, is that overblown? Is it true? Is it maybe underrated? And why is it so complicated from a player perspective, at least in a lot of people's opinion? So I wouldn't say that it's overcomplicated. It's more so that there's a lot of things that it accounts for, you know, whether okay. it's splits, whether it's the way the defense is, uh, the defensive formation and how they're lining up, uh, whether calls or hot calls are being made. There's just so many different, um, so many different uh, alterations that can happen before the play goes or even after the play goes. You know, if a, if a linebacker comes down, you know, your angle right, your angle route might get cut out to a, uh, to a flat route or it may just cut out to one where you sit. Uh, it really just depends on, you know, what the play is called and how the defense, uh, how the defense is lining up. And a lot of people will say that, you know, to the average, average person, you'd be like, man, like this is so much. But after a while, you'll start to see that there are cues that you can kind of fall on to make sure that you're in the right position. Um, and it also helps when you've got a great offensive line and a great uh, and uh, and a great, you know, running back and wide receiver core that can improvise. When a great they, everything like NFL players everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You know, a lot of people are uh, you always see on Twitter. A lot of folks are like, oh, you know, this 2013 offense versus like 2018 LSU or, you know, whatever year it was. I'm like, no, there's there's no comparison. I don't think you realize like going to practice and seeing it every day. And, and watching it and seeing kind of how, whether it was two minute drills, whether it was red zone, like this is probably one of the best offices that we've ever seen in history. You know, it, it seeing it firsthand, you, they've done some great work. We did some great work. I, I, that's a good tease of a question I'm going to ask you right at the very end, but what was the most jaw dropping moment for you either on the sideline during a game, maybe something in practice that the fans didn't see, from this offense where you were like, holy crap, dude, we, we are those guys. Like what, is there a moment that sticks out? So I wouldn't necessarily call it a moment, but it was more so moments. Um, okay. Dur during practice, especially towards the end, end of the week, um, we would kind of run, you know, essentially game skeleton where you're looking, you're, you're running your scripts, whether it's two minute, whether it's, you know, four minute and you're kind of just going through and, you know, running your plays. There was, it didn't matter what day it was, but, Towards the end, we were just so crisp on a lot of things, especially when it comes to like that red zone, that red zone, um, red zone portion. You sure. know, when you look at what Kelvin Benjamin did to Chris Davis in the end zone on that Auburn game, it had been practiced so many times before, and we had seen it happen so many times before. So even for us as players, when we were down what twenty-one to three at half, nobody was really worried. Like it was really? Those, there was, it was no, there was no like panic, unease, pressure, anything. Not like on, that. not on mine, not on mine, and, and none that I could see on the starters at that point. It kind of was like, all right, you know, we'll pick it up. Let's pick it up. You know, it's one of those things where get your head in the game. Let's pick it up. And 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 as you know, that's what happened. Because for us, I mean, I felt good. I was like, man, I was like, you know, I was like, we're down a little bit, but I, I don't feel bad. You know what I mean? And yeah. And as you see, as you saw, I mean. Things started to pick up real quick, and then by the end, it was one of those things where I was like, "All right, it's just like practice." <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go into that game a little bit more in depth in, in a few mm -hmm. minutes um, because yeah. I, I specifically why it picked up really quickly. Um, the, another game that I want to touch on the Clemson game. Were you able to travel and make be at that game? So I was not at that game, okay. but it was one of those things where we had like watch parties and we were able to kind of kind of know know exactly what was going going on in terms of like plays going on and you know. Uh, scripts that were happening on that front so it was kind of one of those things where we're like man we had a pretty good week of practice that week I remember okay. um because they had a, I remember they had a they had a fullback and a tight end that were pretty damn good um and you always knew like when when the week kind of came over kind of started over and you were going through film before 
you know, obviously you have the kind of the, the folks that you're circling and you're, you're trying to get a sense of in terms of the people you need to emulate in practice. And if you had to start by your name, that's one of those things where you're like, all right, like they specifically are telling you, like, you have to be the person who can actually do this in practice to give a good look. Cause if not, the Thorson. defense is not going to be in a good spot. Um, so it was one of those things where they had a great tight end and great fullback and the defense picked it up real quick. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. Um, didn't matter if it was Mario Edwards. Didn't matter if it was Chris Kasher, Timmy. They all knew exactly some of the cues that they had to do in terms of um, some of the uh, hot routes that Clemson had planned and some of the route trees that they had planned as well. And they picked it up. It was one of those things where it's like, all right, like I feel really good about this, but I'm not sure if this is a bad, good thing or a bad thing. You know, is this right. overblown confidence or like do we actually know exactly like what we're supposed to be doing um, when these plays are happening? So that that was that. That week was, it was hell, but at the same time, it was one of those things where the guys knew exactly what they had to do and how they were supposed to, um, and how they were supposed to respond to a lot of the plays. Toughest week of practice you ever had at Florida State before that Clemson game? So, I would say that Clemson week was rough, um, but honestly, I would say that Florida week in my opinion, was probably a little bit rougher. There were three weeks that I probably would, would say were, were pretty well rough were Clemson, Florida, and Miami. Um, I wouldn't say Auburn. Yeah, I wouldn't say Auburn just because we were, for half of it, we were in Pasadena. And when you're in a different, like a neutral location, some of the practices get a little, the, the way they're scripted and the way things happen change a little bit. So it wasn't as, as bad on that front. But for Miami, obviously, you know, it's one of those things where it's hurricane week, you got the flag up, everybody's hyped for it. And it's, it's one of those things where we did as much as we could in order to make sure that we were in a good spot to, um, to come out and, and whoop the canes. And that's what happened. So that, that definitely, I, I would say, you know, if I'm going one, two and three, it'd probably be Miami was hardest Clemson and then uh, Florida after that, for that, for that, uh, for that, um, for that year. And then honorable mention would be Boston college. Oh, okay. For BC, just because what you guys were going up north and it was just kind of like a weird environment, sort of that situation. Yeah, yeah, that and a lot of the stuff they ran. I mean, I, I believe it was Steve, Steve Adazio at that time, but the way his offense is, it's real like nose in the dirt. You know, we're, we're coming hard. Guys we're being dudes. Yeah, that's guys yeah, being exactly. dudes. Guy. Exactly. So for us, it was kind of like, man, like this is, it's like, ah. The fullbacks always got something to do. Tight ends always got something to do. I'm going to sound real lazy, but the way some of the plays work, you'll, you'll obviously you'll they have the people coming in. You'll come together in the huddle. You'll see like the the, the card that they have that you're like, man, like, all right, fullbacks got to go in for this play. You're like, all right, great. Next play, you're like, fullback, we need you again. Like, oh, really? I was like, I'm used to doing one play on and three plays off. Like, come on. So like, by then it was like you had three, four straight plays of fullbacks and tight ends, and you're like, man, like. Is that all they run? <laughs> and and Ebo, you were you were going against on the scout team for the fir- for the first team defense, right? Like you yes. were getting them ready. How was yes. that, man? How was going against that defense? Once again, we talk about the offense. Statistically, one of the best defenses that year as well, man. How was that? Who made your life miserable other than Joiner and Edwards? Like, did you guys ever score touchdowns on the first team D? Like, give me some <laughs> of those stories. So so I'll tell you, I'll tell you. You ask any walk on from the 2013 season. Uh, and they will probably tell you that if you put any walk-on group from that year up against us, we'd probably kick them. We'd probably beat them by about 21. <laughs> because I'm with you, yeah. We, 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 when I tell you we went to war, <laughs> we went to war. Like, I'm not going to lie. They, they, they obviously did their thing. They, 
they made our lives miserable every now and then, but we, we were pretty good as a unit, as a unit. And in, in fact, we, we called it the money squad um, just because it was one <laughs> of those things where we, we knew when we were coming out, we were trying to make some money and we were trying to make sure that, that our practice film was going to look good no matter where we're going. Uh, so, you know, I, there were a couple of times when we scored a couple of touchdowns, you know, I, I remember I took a run for a while, um, took a run for about 20, 30 yards. Oh, nice, man. And then short, shortly after they were like, all right, we have to run that play again because that's not supposed to happen. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know if it was me or just because somebody got blacked out the way, but Hey, so it was one of those things where, you know, whether it was the walk-ons or it was like those red shirt freshman players, um, they knew that when they lined up and lined up against that first team defense, that they were going to have to give their all. And I mean, that's really what happened at QB that time we had John Franklin. Um, we had another, we had another guy, um, Jared Armstrong, and then, uh, another guy, Troy cook. And those, those three scout team, scout team QBs, they, they, they were pretty good, man. They, they were able to put, throw a dime on there and, and, and make sure that we were in a good position. Um, you know, John, John, obviously, you know, he had his stint in the NFL and he's doing his thing, I think in the XFL as well. Um, but Troy Cook, he was a, he was a walk-on QB, I think 5'11", six foot, ended up, ended up getting a scholarship to um, uh, Texas, uh, not Texas, uh, one of the, one of those uh, D1 Texas teams out there. Like North like, Texas or something like that. It was, it was the one, the Skyhawks, I think it is, the Texas. I don't Texas remember which State's one. the Bobcats. Well, if Brendan, uh, look that up, young Jamie. Figure out yeah. who the Skyhawks are. Yeah, I think it's the Skyhawks. Um, but he ended up – it might have been not UTSA. It was one of those. I'm not sure. UT Martin. Yes. Skyhawks. Yes. yes, UT Martin. That's exactly what it was. Oh, that's Tennessee. Playing... Yeah, Tennessee Martin. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Tennessee Martin. I don't know why I thought it was Texas. But I believe he started he, – he was playing there for a bit. Um, and, you know, it was one of those things where, hey, we were pretty pretty damn good. As a, as a scout team and and people didn't realize it. So we had a little, had a little swagger in our step, you know, we were called the yeah. money squad. Um, and it was exactly. And I'll tell you, this is, this is a little known fact that a lot of people don't know, but Ooh. Jimbo always used to talk about uh, finding crumbs, like getting crumbs and, and making sure you're hungry. So we would always just come out there and be like, Hey man, it's time to find a crumb, man. We getting crumbs out here. That's all we're doing. <laughs> so we would, we would literally come out there, man. And, and, and try as much as possible for the most part to, to score touchdowns, to make life hard because the harder we worked means the defense has to work even harder because they've got to, they've got to catch those little things that are going on, you know? Sure. And it's, and it was the same thing for, I think it was the same thing for the defensive walk-ons as, as well. You know, they obviously weren't allowed to make hits or, you know, you know, try to injure somebody, but at the same time they were, they were coming on and they were doing what they can to make sure that Jameis and the rest of the first team offensive line and offense was in a good position and, and knew exactly what they were supposed to do. So that national championship week, the week before, you said it was a unique atmosphere. Obviously, you were in, you were in Pasadena for half mm-hmm. the time. What was that like? How was the preparation? Did you feel was the obviously there was no panic, but was there yeah. surprise based on your level of preparation that you were down by three scores? I think there there definitely was a little bit of surprise, but you know, obviously, and, and you all understand this when it comes to to bowl weeks things can get a little loopy. You know, you're in a whole different environment. You've got all those obligations you have to fill, whether it's dinners, you know, you're going to, you're going to Dave and Buster's, you're having a good time, you know, but the same thing you got to practice in the morning. Um, And it was one of those things where you kind of got a better sense of, you knew that you were there for business, but at the same time you wanted to have some type of fun and some type of enjoyment. So for us, 
there definitely were moments that week where it was kind of like, all right, like, let's get our head in the game. You know, let's, let's do what we have to do. We were having meetings in like the hotel meeting rooms and, you know, you had your, you had all your, your, your gear and stuff and like their conference rooms and stuff like that. So just just throwing off the the routine that was normally there for that year. it, It definitely, I wouldn't say it hindered us, but it definitely was something that I would say for some folks took away from their, um, from their concentration. So it was one of those things, and I, you all know the story about you know Craig and 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 those. Uh, those, those, those perfect. Those what do you think about? <laughs> I mean, you were on the sideline, man. That was an offense that couldn't be stopped by anybody, and then suddenly ineffective, almost as if just um, divine intervention. They knew everything that you were going to do. You were in the sidelines. You heard the coaches chatter, and you saw them put the towels over the signs. Tell me what the real deal was. Yeah, I mean, it, it, people say it, and it's exactly how it happened. Kelvin came in, he said, man, Craig's, Craig's got the calls. I said, wait, what? He's like, Damien Craig's got the damn calls. He were like, wait, no, that, that can't be true. And then that's when, like, they started to be like, all right, let's let's take a look at this and try and switch things up. And okay, you know, for, for, for everything people give Jimbo about, like, um, about making, like, alterations and changing things on the field, that time it was kind of like, all right, we're going to change things up. We're going to hide things out. You know, we're going to make things a little different. And it, it showed as soon as we came back out there, calls were being played, but the way, the way you're signaling, signaling them change, you know, whether you're hiding, uh, hiding towels on the boards, um, on, on your cue cards to make sure that people can't see them. Like we were like, all right, we got to be smart about this. Cause if not, you know, it's not going to end well. And it started to work out, you know, it really started to work out, but it was, it was thanks to KB. KB came out. He said, Damien's got the calls. And we were like, what? I was like, oh, man, like maybe you're right. I was like, I, this is different. I was like, I didn't even know it was like this. <laughs> so you're you're on the sideline. You hear any of the coaches say anything like cussing them out, like under or over their breath loudly. Like, come on, like, come on. You're over to the coaches. Anything interesting here? There, there definitely were some guys were like, got the fucking calls. Like what? Like, really? <laughs> like seriously, like seriously. But like, it's one of those things where like, as a player, like as a fan, you're like, really? Like you're gonna cheat like that? But as a player, you're like, all right, like I get it. I get it. it dude. I, get I get it. it. Yeah, I get, I get it. it. You know, he's if he's got any type of any type of um any type of the you know ledge that can he get, that can help him up. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I don't I don't hold that against him too much. Uh because it worked out in the end. I think if we would have lost, we probably would have uh I would have been a little bit more pissed off, but you know, it definitely worked out that way. <laughs> hey man, he gave him, he gave himself an 18 point head start. Wasn't enough in the end, obviously, but I mean, I get it. I just, just good to hear that from good to hear that from a, a guy that was there. So obviously no panic sideline mm-hmm. morale. Was it pretty high throughout the game? And when did you feel as a player fans always, they always dictate or they always point like the shift in momentum. Like what was the sideline morale and what was the shift in momentum for you as a guy on the field, if there was one. So, so it's honestly funny. I mean, I think the biggest thing was the, uh, the fake fourth and the fake uh, uh, fourth down um, uh, punt return essentially by, uh, by Carlos. Cause none of us knew that was happening. Like only really, only the only the actual you know eleven who were on the field actually had an idea that they were planning on doing that. Oh, that's so awesome! Yeah. It was one of that thing. So for for the rest of us, we were like, oh oh shit, like okay, it's like all right. And you, Coach Vic, you always see Coach Vic up there with his with his towel, just bald head, shaking it around. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. and it was one of those things where like there were points where like guys were like, oh god, like I think it was after like the second second touchdown that Auburn scored. A couple guys, some of them started to drop their head a little bit, and Coach Vic is just screaming his head off, like, 
get up, like scream, like, come on, cheer your guys on. And then when that happened, everybody was like, all right, like, this is okay. it. I was like, all right, we, we feel a hell of a lot better than we did before um, about, you know, how this game's going to go. How's the halftime environment? It was good. No, it was good, man. Jimbo came up and he's always usually got a lot to say um, in terms of, of just hyping people up and getting people back in the game. But for this one, he really didn't have as much, you know, Jameis was the one who kind of took the, took the reins on that and kind of, you know, was hyping everybody up just to tell him, Hey, like, you know, we got this, like, you know, we're going to go out there. We're going to do what we have to do. And, you know, he took up the majority of the time and then you had Jimbo and um, you had Jimbo. And then um, the rest of the, the rest of the coaches came up kind of to let him know, like, Hey, like, this is, this is what we got to do. You know, uh, coach Pruitt barely said any words. Coach Sanders said a couple, um, but guys knew for a fact, like after we came together and then split off into our own little, um, into our own little position groups, like guys knew what they had to do and they knew that they had to essentially play their A game and do what we had to do best to make sure we were in a good position. Okay. So was it more a focus on execution or were there a lot of like schematic adjustments? It was more so on execution because for the most part, we, we weren't, in my opinion, for the most part, we weren't doing terrible. Um, it was one of those things where, you know, you're taking the wrong step here. You know, you're off a little bit here. You know, you're little not hitting stuff. that hard enough here. Yeah, it was little stuff, little things. And like I said earlier, the three things that Jimbo always talks about, the alignment, the assignment, the technique, you know, if you're off on one of those, it throws everybody else off as well. So it kind of was like, all right, get back to it. Let's see what we can do to execute, execute um, and make sure that these plays are actually in a good position. Um, because if not, we're not going to be in a, in a position to score or a position to take it back. So it also helped that you had a, uh, Kermit, take that, like, take that kick turn uh-huh. back away. But you know, <laughs> it all adds up. Alignment, assignment, technique, towel, yes. Kermit. It all adds up to a big fat W for the Knowles. Exactly. You were there on the sideline, man. You saw the, you, you saw that two minute drill. You talked about how much you saw it in practice. Mm-hmm. Did anything on that final drive surprise you? And just describe your feelings when you saw that final touchdown to Kelsey. So I'll tell you, there's one thing that it didn't surprise me, but it pissed me off. It was that Rashard Green non-called. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, egregious. Absolutely uh, yeah, egregious. That, that right? caller that wasn't called, that pissed me off because we all were sitting there like, wait, he literally is dragging him down by the back of his neck. Like, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Granted, the next play was perfectly fine because I think that was, I think that was either a, a an, uh, an angle route to, to Devontae or, it might have been another another play to, to Rashad, but I was like, man, like I was like, really? I was like, y'all are trying to do anything you can to make sure that we don't win this. Like at that point, I was like, this this might be a conspiracy theory for me. But yes, that, there we like, go. I love they it. Might, they might be trying to, to to make sure that we don't win this, you know. And it honestly, I'll tell you what, the funniest thing about that game, um, and I think everybody can attest to this, is like when you go into the when you when the game starts and when you go into halftime, like you don't touch your phones, you know, you don't look at any of that, you know? So it, it was funny to see the change in reactions in terms of just like people texting you, calling you social media tweeting, obviously wasn't super huge at that point, but it was one of those things where like, I was getting texts from people like, damn, bro, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Like, damn, bro. Like y'all, y'all was like, man, like y'all had a great year. Like, it's okay. Like my, I remember my sister, my sister went to us. She's like, sorry about it and then like literally like an hour later she's like oh good game i was like oh "Oh, man you only got a good game from the that that rivalry runs deep dude just a gg from your sister yeah man it was it was one of those things where she was like uh, she's like i remember she tweeted she was like happy for my brother not happy for the Knowles, basically i was like (laughs) it happens (laughs) oh fantastic man so i 
Um, any other any other memories for the season before I end with the ultimate question of the 2013 squad? Any other things you'd like to share? Any other funny practice stories? Untold practice fights? Anything anything else you want to share before <laughs> I ask you the ultimate question? I have a couple of untold practice fights, but I'll, it'll have to be for off the record when we're having uh, drinks. <laughs> understood, man. Okay, we'll get a couple beers and we'll figure that out. Could, there could be a part two coming up. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. But I'll tell you, man, it, I just want to say, like, Everybody on that team, whether it was from, you know, Jameis being the five-star that he was to, to Kristen Green being like, you know, the wide receiver three out there. Like everybody on that team knew their knew their assignment for the most part. And everybody knew what they had to do in terms of this year and how we kind of had to respond to adversity. Um, you know, it, it was one of those things where we knew, you know, we we knew how good we were and we just had to go out there and execute. So for that whole year, um, it was a wild ride. And for that to culminate into just – the best team of all time. I'm going to say that, and I might get shit for it. Excuse my language. Oh, that was my question. That was let it ride. Is right, yeah. yeah, no. to go. 100%. You know, didn't matter if it was your starting QB, your starting defensive tackle, your backup defensive tackle, your backup wide receiver, your backup fullback, your third string uh, long snapper. You know, everybody on that team gave their all for it, you know, and, and – I would take them any day of the week compared to anybody else. I'll, I, I will live and die by that. And and that's all I got to say. <laughs> that's fantastic. And I would take this interview over the week over anybody else as well. That was walk on extraordinaire from the proclaimed and certified GOAT 2013 Florida State football yeah. national championship team. Ebo, anything else you want to say to Florida State Nation before we uh, we head off here? Nah, like, you know, keep chopping along, y'all. We, we're in good hands now. You know, Norvell's turned the program around. And you know, that's that's another thing I will uh, I will say this. In terms of some of the different administrations that we've had and, and in terms of some of the different just – we've only had really three, four coaches. I almost forgot about the Willie Taggart area. But, but, uh, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, all the other coaches, um, Norvell's really, like, righted the ship. And, and he, we're in a really good place in terms of – having alumni come back and actually get involved. That's one of the biggest things that we've seen with a lot of guys who have played in the past and who are now you know, around. Um, they want to come back. They want to give back. They want to be present. You know, they want to come back to the, to the rock that they built um, and the foundation that they've laid. And they want to give back to the, to, to the students and the, the athletes who are there now. So Norvell has done an excellent job on that. They make sure that, you know, if we ever want to come, we have the opportunity to, um, doesn't matter if you're a walk-on, doesn't matter if you're a support staff, doesn't matter if you're a, a you know, star five-star player, you know, they want you to come back and they want you to tell your story to the guys who are there now. And, you know, that's why Florida State's the best state in the nation, or best uh, college in the nation, university in the nation. And that's why, you know, I have real big, uh, real big hopes for this upcoming year. I think, uh, I think we'll go all the way, man. We'll see. Oh, I like it. I like it. <laughs> bold prediction after a bold interview. I am Trey Rowland. That was Ebo and Sua. Ebo, thank you for your time. Guys, head on to Knowles247.com for the best and brightest coverage you can have of this Florida State Seminoles football team. And keep shopping, guys. We'll talk to you later. Sure. Go Knowles.
Girls Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.